Hey, everybody. Welcome to the IGN Movies Podcast. Keeping it real. It's Jim Vavita, joined, as always, by Chris Carl. Hey, everybody. Yeah, wow, well, that was a surprisingly even keel kind of in. I was expecting some <laughs> nope. sort of stage whisper. No, nope. You're nope. like, I'm a busy man today. I don't have time no, for this crap. No whispers. No what? When? <laughs> Where? Why? Cool. Um, so we have uh, some stuff to talk about this week. Um, it's uh, Roth is sitting this one up because she is a busy bee with work stuff. But uh, perhaps next week she can rejoin the podcast. Uh, she sends her regards. <laughs> I, I will say things in a different manner. <laughs> this is the podcast where we only discuss Hillary and Haley Duff. So that's right. That's right. You don't want to talk about Hillary and Haley Duff. Yep. Get on out. That's right. Screw Iron Man. Nobody needs him. Uh, so last week, Star Trek Into Darkness opened in first place. That's good news, but. Here's here's the rub. It did eighty percent better overseas than it than the reboot did when it opened. That's great because let's face it, international box office is really where it's at these days. However, domestic box office still matters and perception of how you've performed at home still matters. And Star Trek Into Darkness is that the truth? Is sort of uh, it's slightly disappointing. Yeah. Um, the original opened at I think like seventy four or seventy five million. This one for the actual weekend, not Hollywood weekends, which start on Wednesday apparently now. <laughs> uh, it made uh, about four or five million dollars less than the reboot. And the reboot wasn't in three D and it wasn't in IMAX like the new one is, like the sequel. Um, in total, from Wednesday, it made eighty four million. Um, so what happened? I th- I don't know. I think there's cause for concern, and I think there isn't, right? I think yeah. you've got domestically, you're looking at this, and you're like, this is a head scratcher, you know. Like, I felt like this movie was testing really well, you know. Like, sort of early Intel was that there was a lot of good and Ace uh, Cinema score, yeah, good ticket pre-sales, all that stuff. Reviews were fa- from non-track fans was fairly kind. And then I think the I think the biggest biggest challenge is what's actually happening this weekend you know like mm, yeah. opening opening at 70 is whatever it's, it's not the best but it's not like a, a kiss of death either yeah but what's happening this weekend is you have two movies in the same cross mm-hmm. you know the same demo crosshairs and and it's the demo that Star Trek Into Darkness didn't do as well right. at that the reboot cut which is under 25 year olds um 35% showed up for the reboot, 25% showed up for the sequel. Also, female viewers were not as strong on this sequel as they were with the 2009 film. So they lost kind of two core demos there, um, meaning it's not as much of a date movie. Right. And the kids opted to... I mean, I had a couple of younger readers um, who were you know, kind of troubled by this news, who said, well, you know, a lot of us have uh, finals, so we couldn't make it that weekend. Right. uh, But we still want to go see it, which is good news. But the two big movies that all under 25s are going to go see this weekend, Hangover 3 and even more so Fast 6. And how smart is it of those two movies to position themselves around that time when finals are done mm-hmm. and it's those Memorial are, Day weekend. Those are the kind of dump your brain kind of movies that you want to see right after. I yeah. mean, I remember college. That's the kind of shit I wanted to go yeah, see you, like you immediately. Couldn't see, you couldn't see uh, a tank blow up fast enough, you know? <laughs> uh, 
um, or just, you know, <laughs> cute girls doing something. You know, it's like uh, I think that Star Trek is I think it's really looking at the possibility of being at least domestically a disappointment. I, you know, and, and it's going to be very tough for it to like once you it's very tough for any movie to make up lost ground in such a competitive landscape, especially since so much stock these days is placed on those original numbers. And so many people are like paid to analyze that stuff. I mean, yeah. us included, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's very interesting from from that perspective. But. It's not a total loss. You do have that 80% jump internationally. Yeah. You do have you know, some good news over there. It's not going to so, be a turkey, but it, it's going to be – it's going to not – you're kind of robbed of some bragging rights. Here's what is the problem to me, and here's where I think it went wrong. I think, number one, the whole mystery surrounding the villain, and if, you're, if you haven't seen it, we're going to talk about spoilers here for a, a it's second. It's con. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So anyway, uh, so it's con. So, but why was that hidden? There's no reason for that to be hidden. Yeah. Look, the and we talked clever. about this in, in uh, last week's podcast that you you weren't on last week's, right? Yeah. Uh, Chris Tilly was. Uh, oh yeah. You, you stepped. Yeah, you stepped out because you hadn't. Um, and I I think the fact is that the people who would be um, impressed with Khan being in the movie were the the casual Trek, either casual Trek fans or just people who know like oh Khan he's a Star Trek villain name associations yeah very important, I mean I something something anything otherwise he just looks like generic British bad guy which he is <laughs> yeah I mean he's not he's kind of name only and we we actually have and I can embed it into this podcast we did a whole Google Hangout about. Uh, many things about Star Trek Into Darkness earlier this week, and we did have a whole discussion on um, on that very issue that, you know, if you're going to use Khan, make him Khan, or if you're going to do something different with Khan, commit to it 100%. Don't have him just turn into genetic, uh, genetic, a generic raving bad guy by the end of it because he's not Khan then. He's just, he could be anybody. He could have just stayed John Harrison and literally nothing would have changed. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I, I do wonder, and I haven't seen any, but I do wonder if they won't kind of switch up at least TV advertising this week, playing up like Khan, like Khan. Oh, Khan's in the movie? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, uh, something, even if nobody uh, seeing that has any uh, sentimentality towards Wrath of Khan, they know the name and they're like, Oh, okay. Well, it's like finding out. Yeah, Joker's going to be in the next Batman movie. Oh shit. Okay, yeah. When you when you take the face off of a villain, and and the way that we're conditioned now to watch movies is to have the good guys against usually one central bad guy in a movie, and the story of that movie is usually triumphing over that bad guy. That's just the archetype of how movies, yeah. summer blockbusters, are made these days. So when you take that away, it becomes less compelling. You I mean Star you can't Trek identify is not a mystery. It. It's similar to the problem that John Carter had, and I know we, we probably talk about John Carter more than anybody on Earth, but it's a marketing problem. I don't think it's a movie problem necessarily, and it might be in the same way, you know, the filmmaker having too much of a say over how something is marketed. And it's it's his crutch. The mystery box is J.J. Abrams' crutch the way the twist ending is 
has been traditionally Shyamalan's thing. He's moved away from it smartly enough. But um, well, I'll say this: I am going to really appreciate his secrecy when we get to Star Wars. But I don't think I appreciate it as much for Star Trek because I think it could have actually really benefited this. I movie. think it could have made it more of a an event for people. Here's here's it'd be like imagine if you went to see a Nolan Batman movie and oh Catwoman's in this or oh Joker's in this right it's you know to find that out is yeah in theory it's nifty but I kind of want to know that going in like I agree you know for example only fans really knew who Bane was right but I got to say by the time that movie opened Bane was in the public consciousness even if it was a very different Bane from the comics, it's still like people knew, like, he's the guy with the weird voice and that mask. Well, I'll tell you that this is a good transition to something else I would like to talk about, and that is how good Warner Brothers has done marketing Man of Steel. Oh, my God, yeah. So well. They've done, they've hit it out of the park on every every note. And it probably helps that that movie looks like it's going to be awesome, right? Yeah. Like, um, but, but beyond that, they started slow. They started with just a feeling and now they've built it to like this fever pitch, and now like love. I'm exactly <laughs> now I'm to the now I'm to the point where, okay, I'm self I'm cutting myself off at this point. Like yeah. I don't want to see anything more until this movie comes out because I'm so excited for it now. It's like that go home, Carl. You're drunk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. You're I'm, drunk on Superman. At I'm this so point. excited for it, and you know me. I'm not a huge super, Superman fan. No, I mean, no, I you're not. Respect the Superman movies. If, if this was Flash and you were like this, I would shit myself. I seriously <laughs> would. They will one day make a Flash movie that will make me fully. Christopher convert. Nolan's Flash. I've already, I've already buried the Flatchet. <laughs> the Flatchet. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, before we continue on on Man of Steel, I just realized we didn't give. Uh, our what we thought Trek was going to do. I thought it would make eighty-five million. Roth thought it would make ninety million. Tilly thought it would make ninety million. Um, you were the most conservative. I was the most conservative, but I was thinking three day, like the actual weekend of eighty-five. So we all wildly overestimated. I mean, it made eighty-four for the entire five days, but when we do our weekend box office, we are literally just talking about Friday through Sunday. Right. So we all very much and Paramount was projecting a hundred million. Yeah. So it, it didn't deliver. Um, I kind of don't know what that really says for why it didn't connect with the younger people. I mean, I, I seriously I, do think it's about conditioning and how you're expected to interact with the movie going into it. And with no villain to attach to, I, I feel like, it's like, why do I want to go see this generic movie? And was four years too much of a gap between the reboot and this? I, I think it that's maybe a factor. I don't think it's as big of a factor because I think if it came back and it was like, it really looked, you know, like... Uh, it looked cool. Le- legit. Like, kids would have gone to see it more. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure Who there'll knows? be a lot more. I mean, uh, this coming weekend, and obviously we'll give our predictions at the end of the podcast, but... This coming weekend is is really make or break for it. Like it has to it has to hold up well. If it drops m- much more than fifty percent, I mean most movies drop sixty percent, but if it really drops, like it's toast, man. Yeah. I mean it's because then you have After Earth coming up. You have oh Epic is opening up this weekend, so that's you know you have kids and families going for that one. Maybe uh, you have the younger people. Torn between Fast Six and Hangover Three, some of the older folks probably going towards Hangover Three. I mean, 
Yeah. It's it's yeah. But uh, anyways, back to Man of Steel. Boy, that trailer. <laughs> that trailer. So I mean, good. every each one each trailer has just added more and more cool stuff and yet i still feel like they're only showing us the tip yeah yeah. (laughs) just just the tip just to see how it feels yeah um (laughs) so yeah because this because in this trailer if you guys haven't seen it check it out on the site i think it's the fifth trailer they've released actually um it is uh it, it it is that blitz of Warner Brothers marketing that they've been doing that's so effective where they wait 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 and then at the very end they unleash a bunch of footage. Um, for this particular one, like I was saying, I kind of want them to stop now and just you yeah. know like chill out a little bit, and let this last thing stand for itself. But we got a we got a, a much better glimpse at the spaceships in this one. Zod. We, we got Zod and his face gear and, looks and, alien-esque. Uh, uh, Feora, her his right? his sidekick who's got some creepy lines. You, you really get a sense of not only the scale of the movie itself, but the menace, the scale of the bad guys. But like, you know, I remember as a kid seeing Superman 2 and loving, and I still love that, that whole finale, that brawl in the streets of Metropolis. Right. It's great stuff. And that was 1982. It is now, you know, 30-odd years later, and... 31. <laughs> and... Um, and it's now it's like really like havoc wrought on uh, an epic scale, uh, global scale, and you know it does it makes you the more you look at these trailers, the more you think they're really switching up some of the Superman mythology. Like they're here to get Kal-El. It's like it's like a Western outlaw thing. Like the posse showed up and they're <laughs> here to arrest your guy, but now the community either loves your guy or. He might be a, a an alien that kind of scares us, but he's our alien. Yeah, you know, um, and he's helped a lot of people. But it makes you think: Why are you getting them? Do you not know that Krypton blew up, or did Krypton not blow up? Yeah, yeah. Could it, could it be? Could could we see Jarrell alive and well at the end of Man of Steel, or does it end on Krypton and Krypton blows up then? Yeah, we'll see. But I mean, I really like if Krypton isn't kaput if they didn't vulcan its ass <laughs> like abram style then i'm going to be that's a key part of superman like he's the last one he is the only one left of his people well i think so he thought i think i think it probably did blow up um but that doesn't mean that all the citizens on krypton are dead you know yeah, they could have had some else? some strategy to you know sort of go to some other place in the galaxy um they so all went to elysium we'll I mean, that trailer. in the w- in the same way that like like Kal-El himself got sent away, why wouldn't you send way more people away? Um, well, in the original stuff, it was that nobody believed Jarrell. Basically, it was like, all right, I'm not getting political. I'm just making a kind of a very rough analogy. It's like all the people who are uh, t- to deny that there's climate change. Right. Well, if suddenly the world really did go. Roland Emmerich batshit, and this was the end. And the one guy who really believed, like, no, guys, this is coming, and nobody, the Cassandra, basically, like, nobody listened to him. Um, that's why everyone else bought it. Um, but I have a, a rumor has it that, you know, there's a different, more kind of um, almost political reason for why he sends Kalal away, which is that everyone, and this is a rumor. Again, we don't know if this is true but it very well could be uh so i guess spoiler warning if this turns out to be true but that kalal is 
is a natural birth, whereas everyone else on Krypton is somehow genetically engineered mm. to to meet certain things, whereas Kalal is a product of love. <laughs> <laughs> product of heavy love making. Look. I saw Lara in that trailer, and let me say, <laughs> I don't blame Russell Crowe, Jarrell, for hitting that. Putting a biscuit in the basket. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, Man of Steel looks awesome. You know what else we got this week? Uh, new trailer, The Wolverine. Yeah, that now, also looks good. Also looks good. Um, didn't really show anything new in terms of footage or what the story is, but the the really cool thing, and we have a... a um, a feature up on the site breaking this down in terms of theories is that the one of the final shots in the trailer is a ginormous silver samurai, a very different, like a mech suit silver samurai, uh, which, you know, so we're getting two different versions of silver samurai. Um, do you think, uh, my, my, my gut says that that's not the, regular silver samurai character i think no. Karada, in that suit i think it's either going to be the sick old man like he's not really dead or somebody betrays wolverine or it's like in in our guy jesse speculates in his feature maybe this is like a, a proto sentinel kind of thing mm. and it ties in with days of future past and some sort of that you know cool. tenuous sort of way but you know that thing reminded me of the uh of the Giant samurai and sucker punch. It also reminded me of Real Steel. Yeah, it was Hugh Jackman's. In yeah, it. and yeah. I actually liked Real Steel. Yeah, I thought it was all right. That was sweet. Not too shabby. Um, but uh, oh, just to circle back on Trek because I thought this was uh, noteworthy. I mean, the story certainly performed on our site. But Damon Lindelof uh, issued an apology on Twitter this week for the, uh, you know, quote gratuitous uh, undressing scene of Carol Marcus. Now. Um, and the, you know, we've seen it in the trailers. She's just in her undies for, you know, a quick moment. But the reason why so many people got bent out of shape over this is that, you know, Carol Marcus is a brilliant scientist and basically that scene, and let's face it, she's gorgeous, everything. It's not, it's, but it's the idea that she's not meant to be just like the hot blonde eye candy character. She is supposed to be a brilliant scientist uh the only woman that that basically kirk half settled down for mm -hmm. and she is essentially reduced to sexual objectification in the scene by just for no real reason in the story to be caught in her underwear so here's the thing now everybody's in their underwear sometimes right? i mean look chris pine showed up in his <laughs> underwear in both movies and Zoe Saldana and Rachel Nichols both in their skivvies in the first movie. I feel like it's much ado about nothing. Like people are in their underwear every single day. Um, yeah. But why? It, why does? Why did she have to be? What? Why does that scene have to be in there though? To sell tickets. I mean, okay. that, it's a cynical answer, but like, you know, it's the same reason that they cast beautiful people in movies in the first place. You know. It's uh, wait. You tell me, not all beautiful <laughs> people are good actors. And you know, Chris Pine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Lindelof actually made a backhanded point in his tweet, tweeted apology, like, hey, you know, we did the same thing for Kirk. Nobody's mentioning that. 
And that's kind of how these things go, I feel like. You know, it's like... One for the ladies, one for the gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, Bond is a really good template for that. You have the Bond girls. And it used to be really gratuitous, I felt like, for Bond girls. And everybody kind of accepts it because it's Bond, it's laddish, it's whatever. Um, but recently, I feel like they've tried to balance it out by, like, putting Daniel Craig in all these, well, like, sort of, like... If you've got a, a physique like Daniel Craig, yeah, you're going to show that sure. crap off, you know? But they're making conscience conscious efforts to oh, yeah. showcase it to the female population. I mean, and they, I the mean, they deliberately designed his whole like beach scene in Casino Royale to be a callback to Honey Ryder and Dr. No and Halle Berry and Die Another Day. So it's a double callback. It's like, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, I, it, it's a showcasing of the attractive people that you've assembled in your cast. Yeah. And, and you're you know, paying them to be in shape. So let's show off what the trainer did. I feel like it It was, it, you know, I like I said, I haven't I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the scene. So I can't really say like, oh, man, yeah, that really lingered or whatever. But, you know, it's I, I just feel like it's it's part of Hollywood. Is it right or wrong? I guess I guess Damon Lindelof is saying, oh, yeah, I screwed up there. But to me, it's not like. It's not that offensive. It's a human body, people. Uh, I mean, she. it's nothing more than you wouldn't see walking down the street passing by a Victoria's Secret. But the thing is, Carol Marcus is in the Victoria's Secret model. She's supposed to be a... Do they show her like intelligence, too? Uh, or is that... I mean... It's... Yeah, I mean... Is it's, that downplayed? No, she's a scientist, but it's... You see the movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's basically like... It's just really more dumb plotting than it is dumb actions and her but i kind of feel like every like and this is no knock on on the writers or, or creators of this i think every character in the star trek movies has kind of been has kind of been distilled down to an archetype for these versions and i yeah. think that's one of the reasons that um trek fans who thought you know who think that the star trek characters are very complex in other in other areas you know in tv you got like the complexity oh, of kirk yeah. he's a womanizer but he deeply cares about women too and yeah. you know like i think i think um you know you're not maybe seeing that it. it's painted in broader strokes and at least in the first star trek yeah. movie it was yeah. and so like you have these characters who exist not in as many dimensions as some people are used to seeing them in. Yeah. And then you introduce this, and it's like, oh, it's a hot blonde in her underwear. And I understand it, the flap, it feels but it's the, like... It feels the fires of the of criticism that were already there and already burning. And it just it gives people another reason to you know, do that kind of like dogpile on the rabbit thing of like... It's also this weird place that we are in society where, I mean, it, it's a similar discussion to what was going on last week with Brave, you know? It's like yeah, everything is, is trying to be made, also, you know, people are much more sensitive about everything. Like I saw something, there was some joke in some Disney show or some, some kid's teen show about gluten intolerance and they issued an apology I mean, come on, guys. Let's just pull it in a notch. Let's not get bent out of shape over everything. I mean, newsflash, uh, lots of dudes on the planet like to look at half-naked, beautiful women and vice versa. Lots of women and other men like to look at half-naked, beautiful men. That's how we're built biologically. So, I mean, the fact that I think things are going in this really kind of like really aggressive direction, direction it's kind of like, okay, you know, it's all cyclical too. And I think it, it, I mean, I have all kinds of theories, but it kind of ties into the economy and all kinds of stuff too. Yeah. Um, it's just... It's also just like you said, it's a safe commercial bet hey we have beautiful people let's flash them a little skin in the trailer yep it d obviously didn't put enough asses in seats but here's the more complex and interesting question about this whole thing 
did Lindelof calculate an apology knowing that it was going to bring more attention to the movie? I wouldn't put it past him, but are people actually going to go and see the movie now just for that one scene where it's already online? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, I think people do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think people go like they Especially find out that Especially knowing you want young males in yeah. seats this weekend. I'm not, maybe not being that cynical. And it, it might it, it might just be, you know, like, hey, yeah, I, I did feel like maybe this is going too far or whatever. It could also be a calculated move. Like, let's bring more attention to this scene. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's... Uh, It'll be interesting um, to see demographically how this coming weekend's box office, and it's a holiday weekend, so it's a a four-day weekend here in this. Four-day? Three-day? Four-day? Three-day. Three-day, yeah. Here's an interesting question. If this movie is considered a moderate success to a non-success, do we see Star Trek Three? I think um, internationally that will guarantee it. Um, I think you're going to see a a changing of the guard. I mean, already JJ was wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, I'll, I'll be back for the third one. Yeah, sure. You will. Yeah. Dad's <laughs> just going to the store to get milk. He'll be right back. You never see him. again. I think he's going to get a, I think he's going to get some kind of producer credit on the movie. And then, and then after that movie, then he'll be out. Of I, the, I think out it'll of be, family. it'll be one of his, um, acolytes directing the next track. If it's not, uh, like a, a Drew Goddard or a Matt Reeves, and maybe it's one of the writers who, frankly, I want them dumped from it. Like, I like I've met those guys socially; they're nice guys, but I I just feel like, and we we talked about this on our on our um, our Google Hangout. We talked about it a little bit last week's podcast, but I feel like these guys are the hey, it's just good enough. Like, hey, I got a really cool image in my head. Let's reverse engineer a scene from that image, regardless of whether or not it makes sense, like the Enterprise being underwater or ships crashing into San Francisco. You know, it's like, it looks cool, so let's do it. And it's the worst kind of um, fanboy kind of writing in that Mm. regard. Like, it's cool, so we can do it, and cool is enough. (laughs) So let's skate by on being cool and smug, and that's good enough. Sometimes cool is enough. You You have to support it with more cool, though. Like, it has to be pretty cool. It can't be, it can't be, the dumbness can't pull you out of the coolness. And I think that's kind of what happened with Summer Trek. But uh, the thing is, I'm still probably going to go see Trek again just to see if my, um, my, uh, problems with the movie hold up or not. Hmm. Uh, let's move on from that. Let me just rattle off some news items that we don't need to necessarily analyze or discuss uh david fincher's remake of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea has been delayed yet again by disney this time over casting so now it's been pushed off to next year he initially approached brad pitt who passed he approached channing tatum who passed i have a theory that brad pitt probably passed because what was going on with angelina jolie he knew that Mm. she was going in for surgery and all this sort of stuff and that she'd be going through recovery and obviously now that that's public i mean Maybe he wants to wait six months to a year till her procedures are all done, and and then yeah. he can go back to work, which I think is very Admirable. good and yeah, and good husband thing to do there. Um, uh, oh, The Rock wants to play Luke Cage. <laughs> That's uh, so awesome. Feige kind of talked about like somebody was asked like, "Hey, do you think you could ever see Dwayne Johnson 
joining a Marvel franchise, and he, he went on to say how much he likes Johnson, and he really loves how he he just he's like a twenty four seven promoter of his movies. Yeah. Um, and The Rock tweeted back, like, I hear you, and I would love to play Luke Cage. This is all on Twitter. This is the great thing about Twitter, where usually private discussions suddenly become public for everyone. But here's my question. Would would Marvel, and we've talked about their notorious um, eye for uh, watching the bottom line, <coughs> cheapness, <coughs> uh, would they actually pay The Rock? Well... I think it's a. I think it's an interesting question. Would they actually could the Rock make, be the new Downey from Marvel? Would they actually make the Rock Luke Cage? That's the other question. You know, is he like who they who they're thinking of for a movie like that, or is it like we want to work with him? Maybe he's a villain. Maybe he's like yeah. something else in the Marvel universe. I mean, look, the Rock is the guy you go to. Uh, I guess what's a baseball a pinch hitter, right? Yeah. Like, okay, Downey is getting increasingly expensive. But we need somebody to help anchor. And The Rock is that guy for a lot of franchises. He was that for Fast Five, now Fast Six. He was that for Joining the Center of the Earth, uh, uh, The Mummy. Yep. You know, maybe bringing in The Rock and kind of semi-retiring Downey a little bit. It's worth a try. Well, I mean, the the Downey situation will sort itself out however it does, you know. Um, Feige, actually on that point real quick, Feige did say in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly that, uh, and again, keep in mind they're renegotiating with with Downey for Avengers 2 and 3, that he does foresee an Iron Man 4, and it doesn't have to be Downey, you know, because he sees Iron Man as being a character like Batman or Bond who can be recast. Hmm. I think good luck with that, but I see why he said it. Well, here's here's my thing. I, f- I feel like when, at some point, this whole thing is going to start falling apart, right? Like, there there's there's this thing that's going on right now which is unprecedented in movie history. And at some point, somebody's going to leave. And when Downey Jr. leaves, that's when it starts to crumble, I think, a little bit. You You have to be prepared for... You can't have any anything be that dependent on one person it's like a government like you know the president is super important but we're built in such a way that if the president is ever out of the picture the train keeps a rolling yeah yeah. you know like nobody is completely irreplaceable and i think you can't have it you can't have downey be your sole anchor there you need you need the the characters and the concepts to be strong enough that it's gonna go on without him i've said it here before but I want that team, that Avengers team, to start getting layers to it. So when somebody leaves, it's like in the comics when somebody leaves the Avengers and they go do their solo thing for a while. In the movie world, we maybe just go six years without having an Iron Man sequel, yeah. and then and then Tony's enjoying retirement, and He's then you bring him back with somebody else later. Yeah. But like, give it some time. Hey, Tony, you look rested. You yeah. look. 20 years younger yeah. <laughs> because now you are. But I mean, and then, and then the other thing is like, if this whole thing keeps going and they keep, you know, sort of recasting everybody and the universe just goes on, you know, right. willy, willy nilly, you know, at some point I feel like it, it might start feeling false to the people who were there since day one. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, and that's the thing, I guess that's the point in time when I actually, I, I'm kind of lamenting that that is going to even exist because I don't want it to. But right, you also can't have you know sixty year old dudes running around. Yeah, no, you, you, it's gotta, it's gotta, uh, um, it's gotta move on. Um, 
Let, let's, uh, speaking of moving on, let me uh, talk about a couple of other little news bits, just things that Feige said. He said that Doctor Strange is on the front burner. Uh, we kind of knew that, but it was nice to have him actually just say that. Uh, he said there's not going to be a Marvel Zombies movie. Not yeah, surprising. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think you could do a fun web series with something like that. You could do, sure. you could do animated. Yeah, you could do so. You could have some sort of like nice little extra, or maybe it's a nightmare. Somebody, ha- you know, you could you could work it in somehow, but not have it be like an existing, ongoing thing. Uh, he also said that um, Runaways. You know, they tried it. They almost made it a couple of years ago, but you know, it. Where does it fit in their universe now? And, it, and he just. He's remains interested in it, but he just doesn't know where it fits. Similarly, in humans, uh, they're also interested in that. But Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of covering some of those same bases at this point. So, Inhumans is like I feel like should be a low priority for them yeah. when there's other things out there. Even even like um, Power Man and Iron Fist, Luke Cage and Iron Fist kind of movie that could go before that or Black yeah, I Panther. Think, obviously, we talked think, about. It I think a Luke bunch. Cage and Iron Fist. Um, Daredevil. Think, yeah. Well, he did say that things like you know now that they've got the rights back to Daredevil and Ghost Rider and all that that you know it's nice to have the rights back, but we don't really know what we want to do with them yet, so we're not really doing anything with them right now. But we just want them back. So I love Marvel Knights. You know, yeah. Marvel Knights is awesome. You love yourself some Moon Knight. You you, you could come back with Knights, you know, just Knights, yeah. and 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 that could be its own series that kind of interweaves. But like, yeah. I I think it'd be a great TV show. Like, mm-hmm. it could be kind of a, a team up show, kind of a procedural. You could focus on a different hero each week, like so you don't have just necessarily one star. Like maybe this week it's someone Ghost Rider, and he's gonna ask Frank Castle for some help or vice versa. You know? Yeah, it could be awesome. I mean. All that stuff is available to them at some point now because they have those rights back. But um, I'd, I'd eventually like to see a good, well-done Daredevil movie because he's one of the more intriguing characters, I think, in the yeah, Marvel Universe. Yeah, I think he's he's uh, he's definitely – I mean, it, we've said it before. We'll say it again. I think he'd also be a great TV show. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what they got cooking. Uh, let me rattle off a couple of other news items. Red 3 is in the works. Let's see how Red 2 does first. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Assassin's Creed movie. Fox has slated it for release May 22nd, 2015. Um, John Vitti, uh, or Vitti, he's the Emmy-winning uh, writer on such shows as The Simpsons, Larry Sanders, The Office, and I believe King of the Hill. He's writing the Angry Birds movie for Sony Pictures Entertainment and Rovio. Uh, Ghostbusters 3 still... Still chugging along within the the uh, imagination of Dan Aykroyd. Uh, <laughs> he says that the new one, it's going to focus on research that's being done on the Higgs boson. And I don't mean Mark Boson, formerly of IGN. <laughs> but uh, uh, Colombian, uh, Columbia students um, are going to be like the new Ghostbusters. If you guys remember, they worked at Columbia in the original mm. movie. Um, uh, Hobbit. Parts two and three, the distillation of smoke, <laughs> and there and back again. The additional filming on those movies has now uh, commenced in New Zealand, according to Peter Jackson on Facebook. Uh, I tweeted out, um, I mean, posted a 
a funny picture of him and Gandalf on the set. Aren't they just charming? Those crazy kids. Those crazy hobbitses. Uh, Stallone talking to uh, Steven Seagal about joining Expendables 3. He also said he's already talked to Wesley Snipes, who's down for it, and uh, Mickey Rourke wants to come back this time, and Jackie Chan wants in. And ja- Well, here's the thing with Jackie Chan. He wants in if his part's big enough. Like They already reached out to him for the previous installment, but he was saying like his part wasn't big enough. He needs a bigger part. Um, it, he is... If you're looking to expand your audience, and Jackie Chan is huge, huge, huge in China, why not get Jackie Chan, give him a bigger part, and, and yeah, make that movie Freshen up huge. the ranks of that team, too. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same guys. You don't have to kill them off. They're just setting this one up. Maybe Stallone went abroad uh, for personal business, and before you know it, he's going to get a bunch of guys together to take care of something. Yeah. You know? Uh, Human Centipede 3 started filming in L.A., so if you see a bunch of people head to ask throughout L.A., it's nothing unusual. It's well, simply it's, Hollywood. It's still nothing unusual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Poltergeist. Now, some details on the reboot have have emerged. I want to read it off to you guys real quick. Uh, basically, it's going to start filming this fall under the direction of Gil Keenan, who did Monster House and City of Ember. Very nice guy. I've actually met him. According to Bloody Disgusting, this new version follows... Eric Bowen and his family, who, after he loses his job, relocate to a new town to start anew. His daughter, Madison, is abducted, making him truly understand what's important in his life. Family. In the new version, Eric's wife, Amy, can communicate with the dead. The new characters include Kerrigan Burke, the host of a TV (laughs) series called Haunted House Cleaners. Oh, God. And, I know. And (laughs) Dr. Brooke, uh, Dr. Brooke Powell, the latter described as Kerrigan's ex-wife, who is a parapsychologist at a local university. Her team investigates the supernatural events surrounding the disappearance of the Bowen girl. So, not only can your current wife talk to the dead, but your ex-wife is a parapsychologist. Uh, who are you going to call? Dude, I'm going to call my ex-wife, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you need to stop hanging out with so many freaky people, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, one of the great things about the original Poltergeist is these people had no idea about the supernatural. They didn't even believe they were sitting around getting stoned when the kids went to bed. Like, they were just, he sold real estate. She was, um, I forgot what she did for like Maybe she was just a homemaker. I don't know. But I think she, yeah, I think she stayed home with the kids, actually. Yeah, and, and they were just regular American folks. I love their relationship in that movie. Like oh, it's, it's one of the so more like awesome, genuine yeah. sort of like family relationships I've seen on screen. I mean, because they're not because they are learning as they go. They're not perfect parents, but they're trying. And they're like a real family. Like they, you know, the older daughter is cool, but she kind of wants to go off do her own thing. But she's not like a jerk to the family. But she is like, I just want to go stay at you know whoever's house, yeah. and you know, and she does. <laughs> you know, and she does. And, you know, and she's like, "Okay, I'll see you guys later. Bye. <laughs> Good luck love, with that whole ghost thing." I love that <laughs> and my moment, missing sister. That moment where it's um, it's and you know you, you know the the lore of Poltergeist is that Steven Spielberg kind of laments the fact that he basically took that movie over from Toby Hooper. Well, Toby Hooper was no in no shape at that point in his career. So, so he had yeah, some I mean, problems. I, I know, I know that I know that Spielberg, you know, has said, you know, I I I took too much control in this movie and stuff, but. The Spielberg touches in that movie are what make it work really well, yeah. and uh, and the, you can totally see that they're not subtle at oh, all. Oh, not at all. And and you know, like the 
the the moment I really really love in that movie is where the the construction workers are all working in the yard and the daughter and then the the daughter leaves and they're all like whistling at her and she like flips them off. And then the mother's watching the whole scene. Like, should I go out there and help her? And then she's like, Oh, no, I don't need to help her. She's got this. She's got this. There's little tiny moments in that movie. Make that family so believable. Yeah. Which is like bottom line one oh one for any movie you're making. That is a horror movie. You have to care about those people deeply before they, things start happening to them. And a lot of it is, you know, who you cast and Craig T. Nelson and uh, uh, Joanne, um, oh my God, I grew up watching her. Oh, Joanne. Oh, it's not. Jo- oh! It's not Joanne, is it? Now I'm. Now oh, I'm, bl- I'm. Now shit. I'm blanking. I feel out. like such a jerk now. <laughs> but they 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 sold you on this. You know, that's why I think something like The Conjuring is uh, going to be interesting because they cast you know actors um, that uh, that are relatable and seem like real people. Here's an awesome. Here's a recommendation. I don't. Know Joe Beth Williams. Joe Beth Williams. It's not. It's not an awesome movie, but it's a good movie. Um, I watched Dark Skies recently, yep. and the the thing that works about that movie is the thing that works in Poltergeist not as well. But um, Carrie Russell um, and oh god, now I can't forget. I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Josh Hamilton? Um, the guy from Kicking and Screaming. Um, those those two like have a really believable relationship, and the kids in the family are also believable. Like the first time you see the son, he's over at his friend's house, and his friend's showing him porn. It's like it's a thirteen year old kid. That's what you do, yeah. You know, exactly. and and you see so many sanitized characters and so many characters who don't have like problems that real world people have, or they're like everyone seems to have found the time to carve out to like help the kids with their home. right. Like most parents, are like uh huh, yeah, that's good. Like just because they're your parents doesn't mean they know math. Or or care, <laughs> you know, like they're probably like, not the best ones to help you with your homework sometimes. Oh man, I, you know, the last night I was trying to calculate something in my head, and it's like I always just reach for my phone now. It just made me realize like how little I even. Well, use it's like any what Spellcheck has done for for. Yeah. Spell, I mean, uh, uh, some other some other news items. Transformers Four. Uh, Lee Bingbing, who played Ada Wong and uh, Risen. Evil Retribution has joined the cast of Transformers 4, which is going to film partly in China, have a very strong Chinese presence, including uh, more than, you know, just Li Bingbing joining the cast. You're going to have a lot of other prominent Chinese actors. And they're also getting some newcomers from a much talked about reality show to join it. But there's some rumors going around about certain characters that, if true, this is spoiler stuff, so, you know, be forewarned. Uh, characters that might be in the movie. The Dinobots. Wow. Galv- uh, Gavitron. Galvatron. Galvatron, yeah. Um, Lockdown. Yeah. Uh, Hound and Drift. I don't know what that is. And uh, um, they're Autobots. And then a Pterodon named Swoop. That guy, those ones I think were a little after my time. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, Dinobots and Galvatron and all that. Definitely, like, the Dinobots were like my brother's generation of Transformers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but well, I yeah. mean, we know who they are. Dinobots in and of itself, like, so many people have been wanting that. Uh, you, you've had some of these sort of, like, uh, bestial sort of Decepticons uh, before. Like, yeah, that really cool, like, thing that looked like a, a tiger or something. And, and then the snake one. And the snake one. And then, like, um, you know what they haven't done, which would be kind of cool, like, an underwater one. Yeah, Sharky, Sark Sharkytron. <laughs> Decepti Shark. <laughs> this fallen sci-fi Decepti Shark. 
And then they written they, and directed by Chris Carr. They should they should start naming these Transformers names that aren't like great for the Transformers. Like Brian. All these <laughs> all these ones that are like Galvatron, you know, and like, Lloyd, <laughs> and Snakey Wiggles, <laughs> and, and Cuddles, uh, Cuddletron. <laughs> uh, episode Megatron. seven. There was some uh, some rumors this week that maybe Jonathan Reese Myers. Might be up for a role in it. Now, Jonathan Reese Myers, as you guys know, Irish actor. He was in um, uh, The Tudors. He was, uh, you know, Henry VIII in The Tudors. And he worked with J.J. Abrams, the director of Episode Seven, on Mission Impossible 3. He was one of the, the guys on the team. He's our generation's Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. If you've never heard my theory on that. And, or he's like Ewan McGregor 2.0, or the poor <laughs> man's Ewan McGregor. He, he won a Golden Globe for playing Elvis. Uh, so I, now two things I love, Elvis and Star Wars, perhaps mixing. Um, be a peanut butter and tauntaun sandwich. That's right, future. a peanut butter and tauntaun sandwich. Oh, man. Thank you very much. Exactly. I think... He screams playing an evil guy. He's got that kind of, you know, slightly asexual look to him, but he's got that sort of evil glint in his eye. Like he's he's going to be in this fall's uh, new TV series, Dracula, and he should technically be done filming that show in time to film episode seven, which is early 2014 hmm. in the UK. Yeah. Where I, I believe he lives. <laughs> I think. Uh... Yeah, I I actually like him for this. I think he I would think be cool. I think yeah. He would be an interesting villain. He could all, all he is actually a, he would have been a good character for um Anakin as well. Like I thought yeah. he, he was the right age. He's he's a, a little stronger bit like actor, that's Yeah, sure. he's a little bit stronger actor than Hayden Christensen is. Um but actually, I've seen Hayden Christensen in some things hey, I look, really like. Hey, look, Shattered Glass was really good. And I mean, I think like most actors or directors i mean you're really only as good as your script there's only so much unless you really have like a deep well of 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 um unless you have a, a really uh, kind of broad skill set as an actor or or just you know really brilliant like a downy you can you can maybe think on your feet a little better but if you, you're one of those actors that's really only as good as the text and, and here's another thing to consider, and I don't think we think about this very often, but you are at the mercy of a director. Some people have different processes, right? So some people are going to take a take and, you know, not like it and then come back on a second take and do something really amazing, really yeah. awesome. But if that director never gives you another take, your first thing out the door is what is going to go on Some actors need time to warm up. Some, some of them need 10 takes. Yeah. Some of them can nail it in two and then suck from there on. Yeah. And, and those acting styles don't always mesh. So that's why, as a director, you kind of have to know, all right, who's going to be hot out of the gate? Because we'll start with coverage of them. And then when they start to burn out and the other guy's picking up steam, now we can shoot him. It's a, it's a, it's a total juggling act, and it's... It's one of the reasons that really, really good directors and people who say that directors who get good performances out of people, those are the things that they manage well. So Yeah, yeah they know. You just kind of – you have to know your, your people. Um, I think that will probably just about uh, wrap it up for the news. Um, unless you had anything you wanted to contribute on no. the Star Wars front? Box office, man. All Let's right. do it. So opening up this weekend, as we have said – Fast and Furious 6, or as the opening, I've seen the movie, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's called Furious 6. 
furious six. Not fast six like they had trained us to, to say for the last six months. They changed their mind at the last minute. Um, hangover three. I'm sorry, the hangover part three, like the Godfather. <laughs> uh, and then um, hold uh, and epic. And then the holdovers, of course. God, I feel sorry Star for Trek epic. and Iron Man 3. Um, and Gatsby. Um, let's see. I think Fast 6, I'm going to say 107. Wow. And then Hangover 3, I'm going to say uh, 69. Just because it seems so appropriate. And then dude. I think Trek, third place, I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say 40 million. Right on. Well, I agree with you. I think Fast Six is going to beat Hangover, um, but I think it's going to do um, 101 million. Okay. And then I think we got Hangover Three coming in at about uh, 63 million. Um, I think Trek is going to drop a bunch. Uh, it was at what it, it was a 70 for the three days. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to drop about 50 percent. So I'm going to give it a 35. Um, and then you know what I'm gonna say uh, fourth place epic I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say 28 28 million for epic epic I think is a, it, it's an interesting one because um, hangover three doesn't apply to kids mm-hmm. Trek eh, kids you know haven't loved it it's, to this point yeah. and I think it's it is more of an adult movie epic is that movie where if parents are feeling responsible, they'll take <laughs> their kids to that. You know, like, otherwise, they'll probably take them to Fast 6 and don't show up in my screening. Um, uh, Epic. I think Epic's going to do about 23. I think Epic, though, it's going to be curious to see because I don't, again, though, we, we kind of live in a bubble of older skewing movies. Right. Um, I don't know what the word in the street is. Uh, um, we lost our playground connection when yeah. Matt Fowler moved on. Yeah. So if uh, anybody hangs around playgrounds, <laughs> <laughs> one, you really should turn yourself in. <laughs> but two, if you've heard what the kids are talking about, if they're they're up to see Epic, drop us a line at keepitreal at IGN.com. Give us a shout out over on iTunes. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if you guys do go see any movies this weekend, let us know what you think of them. If, uh, you know, if you think, uh, you know, is there any life left in the Hangover series? They're saying this is the final one, but we'll see. I guess it depends on how it does. And if you haven't seen Trek yet and you go to see it this weekend, do let us know what you think of it. So, as always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you all next time.